You are Locked On Bama, your daily podcast on the Alabama Crimson Tide. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back into Lockstone Bama. Luke Robinson, that's me. Jimmy Stein, that's him. Jimmy, how are you today? Doing fine, doing fine. Uh, it's Depth Chart Madness Day. It is Depth Chart Madness Day, and we're all glad that you're okay after you couldn't make it with us yesterday. But, you know, you when you have hurricanes and things like that, I mean, it's shit happened, right? It's a madhouse down here, really, uh, between cell towers down huge trees down, people damage a significant portion of the area still doesn't have power. My parents, for instance, don't have power. Uh, man, it's just uh, a madhouse. Well, you brought it up, so I think we can start there. Actually, I kind of want to leave that for a little bit yeah. later in the podcast, meaning the depth chart. Um, just really quickly, since you didn't get to chime in yesterday, uh, anything about any of the high school performances from our commits or prospects or the NFL performances of Alabama alums that stood out to you? Well, there's a lot of great NFL performances, no doubt about that. Uh, I, I would say from high school, what stands out to me is Deontay Lawson had another huge game and a buddy of mine that was there who has a very sharp eye for talent. As a matter of fact, he's one of the better talent guys, I think, in the state. He was there and watched the game himself, and he was blown away by Deontay Lawson. And uh, he's seen a lot of the top players. And in his opinion, he's like, I think I would rate that guy's the best prospect in Alabama now, ahead of Kool Aid and and Dylan Brooks and, and Lee Hunter. So, uh, boy, that's a tall praise. But uh, Deontay Lawson continues to put up huge numbers on both sides of the ball every week. And this week he played against Viger, by the way. So while Viger is not a good team record-wise, he was going up against some uh, premium athletes. Yeah, and Viger's actually got a kid named Anthony Mix Jr., who, of course, is son of Anthony Mix Sr., who played at Auburn, from down, and he was down in the Mobile area. So you know he's an athlete. That's right. And he's I wouldn't say he's typical of what, what Viger's got because Anthony Mix Jr. is a premium high school prospect uh, athletically. But uh, Viger has uh, just good athletes all over the field. So Deontay wasn't just beating up on a bunch of guys that are incapable of playing at the next level. Uh, I would say I'm more impressed with Deontay's numbers against Viger than I would be against, you know, UMS, who's, who's a better team uh, and is going to go far in the playoffs. And Viger may not even make the playoffs. I'm just saying Viger's got some dudes that are uh, big, tall, fast, and strong, and, and Deontay beat up on them pretty good. Yeah, I, I I talked about that a little bit in the podcast I did solo yesterday. Um, he just continues to impress. And, of course, I caught him in the state championship game last year. And as I've said multiple times, I, I did was not blown away, but he has done nothing but blow people away this year. So, certainly. Um, Kids can change a lot in a year. It's yeah. not unusual. I, I brought up this uh, before. Uh, even TJ Yeldon, who everybody thinks of as a five-star, uh, in the 10th grade, not every SEC school even liked him as a prospect. In the, right. 11th, in the 11th grade, there was concern about what position he might play. Is he a running back? Is he a wide receiver? Is he a DB? And then in the 12th grade, he simply became one of the best high school running backs in America, and he's still playing running back for a living. So, uh, you know, th that, that's just one example of how even good prospects uh, get better and better every year. And Deontay just has uh, blown up from, from he was a good prospect a year ago. Alabama took him based on what he did a year ago. But – 
he's an even better prospect now. Uh, and of course, I talked about the Thompson Hewitt game, and there were just prospects everywhere. And I saw where Connor Harrell or Harrell or Harrell—I'm not sure how to say it—but he um he got a scholarship from UAB. Not not a huge deal or anything, but just proud of this kid. And I, and I talked about how impressed I was watching him on ESPNU the other night. He's I just, blowing I think, up. Yep, he's gonna. I think he's, he's gonna up. end up getting Alabama offer, no doubt. He's turning into a thing, no doubt. Me, me I mean, Tanner Bailey. Tanner Bailey is a, a, a top in-state quarterback prospect in the 2022 class. Tanner Bailey is very good. It'll be interesting to see the yeah. comparisons between now and next summer of, uh, of, of Connor Harrell versus Tanner Bailey. But I can tell you this, from what little I know right now, uh, I, I'm pretty emphatic that both are SEC players. Now, does that mean they'll end up at Alabama? I don't know. But based on what I've seen, I, I would peg both of them as these are SEC quarterbacks. No, I'm right there with you. And then um, I think next week, a uh, fun high school game for those who keep up with it is going to be uh, Central of Clay County against Pleasant Grove, which is a rematch of the state title game from last year. And Pleasant Grove, of course, has Christian Lewis, who I also love, wide receiver committed to Kentucky. Um, he just got his four-star, I think, across the board. So that's great. Um, all right, Jimmy, let's go ahead and talk about Rock Auto really quickly. Rock Auto, uh, I mean, look, Christian Lewis – uh, probably goes to Rock Auto because he's fast enough to need, uh, you know, he needs to change out his timing belts every now and again. I mean, it, that's that's what you do. When you need something auto-related, you go to rockauto.com, R-O-C-K-A-U-T-O.com. Use the promo code Locked On. They are the best. Uh, I'm telling you, I've talked to other folks not associated with this podcast, like because I was telling them that they, you know, were a sponsor of this podcast and they said, yeah, like I go to Rock Auto all the time. I just buy whatever I need from there because it saves me so much money. And it's the same thing. This is not off-brand stuff. This is the real deal. So go check out rockauto.com for all the parts your car will ever need, R-O-C-K-A-U-T-O.com. Okay, Jimmy, um, let's do talk about the depth chart now. Uh, I, well, let me just throw this out there. It was so much fun watching the Dallas-Atlanta uh, game yesterday because, and well, I guess, Sunday, two days ago, um, the, because it had Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, Amari Cooper. Um, uh, Ridley lit the place up. He had seven catches, two t- t- two touchdowns, another 100-yard game. Uh, Julio's hamstring was screwed up, and he dropped a surefire touchdown, which would have helped my fantasy league. But um, And then Amari didn't score again, <clears throat> but he did have maybe the catch of the day in the NFL. So it was a lot of fun watching – all those guys, you know, three wide receivers from Alabama on, on one NFL game. I mean, it, there was a time in my life, I bet you we didn't have a wide receiver in the league. Oh, I'm sure that's true. As a matter of fact, I would say throughout the 80s and the 90s, that's a 20-year period. If you yeah. add up the wide receivers Alabama put in the NFL over that 20-year period, by the way, which Alabama won a lot of football games. But if <laughs> I'm sure – Put it, I'm sure there were seasons in that 20-year period where Alabama had less than three wide receivers in the NFL. As a matter of fact, I would say most of that 20-year period, Alabama had less than three, I would guess. You know, the it's, I've been trying to think of the the one that I know of pre-Saban, and the only one I can think of, Triondus Luke had a, had like a cup of coffee with the Denver Broncos, and that's Correct. about Six all. Round pick. I remember he was a six-round pick. He wasn't around long. Um, This is the best way to explain it. There's some great names in Alabama history of, I will name some 
some wide receivers that we, we previously thought of as great, and they were really good players. But they're nothing compared to what Alabama's putting in the NFL right now. Some of those names are Al Bell, uh, Jesse Bendross. Remember that? I mean, I mean oh, yeah. these were really good wide receivers. Um, Todrick Malone was a good wide receiver in, in the Stallings yeah. era. Uh, who's that kid from Arkansas? Michael Vaughn. Mm-hmm. The, these were kids we previously thought wait, of wait, as good wait. players. Michael, right? Vaughn from, Michael Vaughn was from Vicksburg. Correct. That is correct. And he was a, a, a high four-star, if not a five-star type prospect. And he came to Alabama oh, and did some good, good things. Even DJ Hall, uh, Keith Brown, yeah. Curtis Brown, yeah. uh, Kevin Lee. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, David Palmer definitely belongs in, in the discussion with the Saban era guys, but, but he's one of a kind. And I'm just saying that our wide receiver recruiting and development has been so freakishly good players we in the past thought of as really good players guess what <laughs> they're not the, they weren't this good <laughs> no uh, they, they weren't the guys all right let's talk about the depth chart we'll start off on the defensive side um this is so exciting i mean it just lets you know everything's so close but uh first of all the starting de- starting defensive line uh seems like it'll be lebrian ray dj dale and then Justin Aboyjabe or Christian Barrymore or Fedarian Mathis. I'm glad they still don't call him Phil Mathis. <laughs> Funny. Uh, I think that position is going to be largely manned by Christian Barmore, but he, as we all know, uh, per Saban, it's not a secret. He banged up his knee and uh, had missed quite a bit of practice. And uh, I think that practice time he's been out uh, has, has affected him in terms of the starting lineup. And Justin has played really well. He's been uh, handpicked by Saban. I mean, when Saban's talked about young defensive linemen, he, he has said that Justin is the most consistent one. And Justin started games a year ago. So I wouldn't read a lot into it. I, I think all of those guys are going to play. And the strength of this Alabama defensive line is the depth. It's the first six or seven guys uh, that are all good. And uh, the fact that we have six or seven that are really good, that's the strength. It's not necessarily one guy. It's it's a six or seven strong group. And what stood out to me about the defensive line group, and again, I may be reading too much into it, but but this is the morsels of info we have. But Tim Smith was was yep. ahead of Ishmael Sopshire. Sopshire. And uh, I've heard good things about Sopshire this fall. So that was that was intriguing to me and a sign that uh, we might want to add Tim Smith to the list of, of, of people we should expect to see uh, in that first rotation of defensive linemen. Yeah, I think that um, definitely Tim Smith being up there. And on the official depth chart, it says Tim Smith or Ishmael Sopcher. But you would have to think that uh, Tim Smith's probably going to go in before Sopcher. That's just that's just looking at it like that. Um, what Another surprise to me, considering how much hype Ben Davis has gotten in, in fall camp, is that he's apparently not going to start. It's probably going to be Chris Allen. It says Chris Allen or Ben Davis. But it sounds like it's going to be Chris Allen. And then, of course, less of a surprise, at Jack, it'll be Will Anderson. Um, And I said it on the podcast yesterday, the over-under for sacks for Will Anderson in game one is one and a half. That seems optimistic for a true freshman playing his first game. But frankly, I think I'd bet the over. Well, the way I would look at that, Luke, is it's, it's, it's insane to suggest that. And at the same time, I'm not betting against it. 
I mean, if you, I mean, I think it's insane to to set a true freshman outside linebackers sack total in game one at one point five. But if it, you know, if you said, "Hey, you've got to make a fifty dollar bet on this," I <laughs> I would probably go with the over. Even I mean, it's just insane to suggest it. But yet here we are. Here's one thing I think people can get ahead of themselves on at, at that outside linebacker depth chart. I know what it says, and I think we ought to take it at its face value. But let's remember, um, Jack and Sam at Alabama is is only on the field during regular and dime. And, and it's not even two outside linebackers on the field and dime every time, just some of the time. In Alabama's nickel formation, which Alabama is in the nickel almost 70% of all snaps, only one of those outside linebackers is is usually on the field in Alabama's nickel package. So even though I know two are listed there, you know, it's one outside linebacker that ends up playing the most snaps of all of them. What what I think today, and, and of course they don't consult me, nor do I get the memos, but what I think today is you're going to see different guys in the different personnel groups. I think in a regular you might see Ben Davis and Chris Allen as the starters because they're bigger, more physical guys with a lot of experience. In dime, when it's third and long and the other team's got four or five receivers out and Alabama's going to play two outside linebackers, that's when I think you'll see both Jacks. I think you'll see both Will Anderson and Drew Sanders as Alabama's quickest, flashiest pass rushers. I think the question is, well, Alabama's in nickel 70% 70% of the time, and, and, and in that formation, usually there's only one outside linebacker on the field. I think that's going to be Chris Allen or Will Anderson. And if Will's going to play a bunch of snaps, nickel's the key because we're nickel more than anything else. So if Will Anderson kind of becomes – if Will Anderson becomes our primary outside linebacker in nickel, that is huge. That will mean that Will Anderson will hardly ever come off the field, which is exciting. But if Will is only playing in dime, you're only talking about 15% of snaps. He'll still make a big impact on the game because I'll tell you a guy who only played in dime a year ago was Christian Barmore. You know, he played inside, but only in the dime situation. So he's only playing like 15% of snaps, but still made a statistical impact because he was so consistent uh, in, in blowing stuff up. Uh, but he wasn't on the field that much. To, to be on the field a lot on our defense, that means being a starter in the nickel package. That's what to look for. My guess is that's going to be Chris Allen at least initially, and then we'll, we'll then we'll see more of Will Anderson as as the season progresses. All right, and I'm going to try and zip through the rest of the defense before we talk about the offense in the final segment. But uh, Mike Dylan Moses, no shock there. And then Jalen Moody or Shane Lee. Shane Lee could go from, you know, starter, like out there all the time to third team. And that just lets you know something about the depth. And then it will, of course, is Christian Harris and then Josh McMillan, Ali Cahoe or uh, Des Moines Kennedy. And I just had a thought, if you have Christian Harris and Will Anderson at the same time out there, I mean, God bless anybody who can get a pass off. Yeah, that's just the athleticism is just the athleticism is just fantastic with those guys. You know, one, you know, I would call Shane Lee maligned by the fans. I mean, that's the guy that the fans pick on the most. I'm not saying this. Don't take this statement at its face value. It's just something to store away for personal interests like, huh, I didn't know that. But Shane Lee had a better year statistically last season. The Shane Lee were maligning over how bad he was. 
he had a better year statistically last year than Mac Wilson did the year before Mac went pro. So hmm. Shane Lee's freshman season was better statistically than Mac Wilson's junior season playing the same position. Wow. So that's interesting. And I'm not saying he's a better player and that everybody's deaf, dumb, and blind. I'm just saying maybe we were a little too tough on that guy is, is what I'm saying. No, I'm with you. I'm with you right there. Um, yep. And then <clears throat> looking at uh, the defensive backs, um, Josh Job, of course, will be in there. Uh, you know, Ronald Williams hurt. So he, I read an article today that said he was pegged to be the starter. I don't know that that's correct, but, uh, it, you know, uh, and then, uh, no. Yeah. And then Patrick Sertan is backed up by Jalen Armour Davis, who just came back because the rumor was Jalen Armour Davis was going to opt out. And right. um, he was gone from the team for a little bit. Um, and it just said undisclosed reasons. Um, but uh, number one, I don't know why, if that's, I don't understand, unless you were really scared of the Rona, why you would opt out, because it's a free year regardless. You might as well just, right. unless you just didn't want to be at school. I mean, maybe you could just drop out of school and be done. I don't know how this works. But um, I mean, yeah. and then of course, at Star is one of two freshmen, uh, either Malachi Moore or Brandon Brian Branch. I mean, that's pretty remarkable. Well, I'll say about the DBs is this, and, and this is not based on any inside information because there's no way, even if there was inside information, it wouldn't be told to me on a subject that's this sensitive. So I'm going to talk about this because I'm guessing. And if I'm guessing and happen to guess right, then I'm not disclosing inside info because I don't have any. Isn't that, the, isn't, I, that the, isn't that the plot to the Pelican brief? <laughs> What, That's exactly what I'm about to talk about right now is the Pelican brief. It wasn't Mel Gibson like he kept writing all these conspiracy theories, then he hit on one and like everybody got in, got in trouble, right? Isn't that it? Well, so this is my conspiracy theory, and I think it's going to make – you know how Alabama doesn't talk about COVID? I mean, it has been 100% obvious that many, many of our players dating back to June and through camp have been diagnosed with COVID – and then through quarantine, through contact tracing, others have had to quarantine. We all know this, but we don't know all the names because it's been Alabama's policy not to name names. Okay? So I'm just saying, I'm suggesting this. Particularly at defensive back, where, where things appear sort of strange, like Jalen Armour Davis is missing for a few days and, and people think he opted out, or it looked like Brian Branch was going to be the guy at star, but now it's Malachi Moore. And you can't help but wonder, did Brian Branch miss a couple of weeks of practice? Then Ronald Williams, who was behind all these guys, then he's number one, you know, for a day. Why was he number one? Maybe players ahead of him were missing from practice. So I don't know that any of those guys had COVID. Maybe zero of them had. I don't know. I'm just saying that just like we've talked about all during fall camp, that the conspiracy theories need to start with COVID. It doesn't need to be the last thing we guess. It needs to be the first thing we guess because we're going to have players with COVID and Alabama and Nick Saban are not going to talk about it. We won't know until warmups who's dressed out and who's not and who has COVID and who doesn't. We don't know, and we won't know. So I'm just saying that if you see some strange things at, at the DB depth chart that doesn't make sense, I think we should first think um, maybe COVID had something to do with some of this. Why? Why was why was Banks number one at corner for a while? Why was Job not number one at corner for a while? You know, when these guys miss, you know, when you're out for COVID, you're probably out two weeks. That's a lot of practice to miss. 
and, and then it results in the depth chart getting shuffled around. So I think week to week, it might just look a little different on the field because we don't know who's going to be positive and who's going to be quarantined through contact tracing. And it's something that's going to change week to week. All right, Jimmy, let's take a break. When we come back, I'm not sure. I might save offense for tomorrow so we can have more time to uh, get into it pretty good. But uh, we'll be back in just a minute. Okay, Jimmy, yeah, I think I will save offense for tomorrow because, you know, this uh, Uber conference thing only gives us so much time to talk. But, um, you know, going back to uh, going back to the defense just for a second, you said something about uh, COVID and, and 14 days. And it just made me think about – um, something with the Big Ten I want to get back to. But just to wrap up the defense, at free safety is Daniel Wright, who apparently is really playing his ass off in the fall. And then DeMarco Hellams um, is backing him up. At strong safety is Jordan Battle, who I've also seen very good reports about, and Eddie Smith. Um, the thing about all these guys, and it's funny, I, I always try to keep myself in check. When I read – about uh say an auburn practice report i mean it's just you know this guy's just kicking out he's so fast this guy's covering everybody and and this guy's catching everything and i'm always like why don't you ever tell us about the guys who aren't doing so good and but then when i read in alabama when i'm like oh this guy's kicking ass that's great i, I mean i never I, I i need to check myself and realize that not all these guys are probably playing quite as well as uh as they're supposed to be but um, I have heard good things about Jordan Battle and Daniel Wright, obviously. And, you know, what do you think about that that foursome of guys? Yeah, I mean, uh, real interesting. Couple points about that. You know, I, Alabama fans of all. I mean, I, I think this isn't Alabama fans. I think this is all football fans. All football fans are enamored with the offense, even though they'll all tell you you got to be good on defense to win championships. Fans are more enamored with the offense, and here's the proof. Just attend any Alabama scrimmage, and I know not everybody has the fortune of going to those. By the way, they used to be open. They're, they've only been closed under Saban. These scrimmages used to be open. I used to go to a bunch of them because anybody could walk in and go. But go to a scrimmage or an A-day even, and when the quarterback completes a 60-yard pass for a touchdown, what happens? Everybody cheers. Mm -hmm. Everybody cheers. Well, we just gave up a 60-yard touchdown. Why are we cheering? <laughs> you know, but it, that, that's kind of my, my point about players that stand out. Hey, it's great when players stand out, but that means they're beating up on somebody. I mean, right. here, here's one thing to worry about. Will Anderson has apparently dominated as a pass rusher during all three scrimmages. And guess who he's likely beating up on? Alex Leatherwood and Evan Neal. So I'm not saying that those guys suck or all of a sudden there's a problem. I think most likely the answer here is Will Anderson is shockingly good for a freshman. But I'm just saying for every Will Anderson sack, that's a sack on one of Alabama's tackles is given up. You know, that could mean a that could mean a quarterback loss for the season in a game. So that's just one point about that. Now, specifically about those safeties, what's interesting to me is I, I've heard good things about all four of those kids, and it's great news because safety was kind of a hole. But Jordan Battle and Daniel Wright are, are now older kids with experience, and they're the starters. And you hear good things about DeMarco Hellams. And then Eddie Smith seems to come out of nowhere because no one talked about Eddie Smith. And then about two weeks ago, a lot of people started talking about Eddie Smith. Apparently, a light has come on for him. And uh, now all of a sudden, he's sort of in the mix. And this was a guy we never really talked about before. And again, I, I beat this drum to death, but it's just the, the theme of, of the season and the year. But COVID 
let's just say, again, I know all these theories have to do with the DB room, but let's just say Eddie Smith is the backup at safety to Daniel Wright, and he's never been in the picture, and they don't think much of him, and he's not going to start. But then all of a sudden, Daniel Wright has to miss a week or 10 days of practice because of COVID, and there's no one else to put in there. So they put in Eddie Smith, and then all of a sudden, it's like, holy crap, this guy's good. Some kids, the light comes on when they're thrust into the spotlight. Some kids can't stand out in the drills. They need to be out there with the first team and on 11 on 11, and then all of a sudden you really see what you got, even if they're not necessarily great players in the drills. So maybe, and again, just theorizing, maybe that's the situation with Eddie. Maybe COVID gives him a shot that he's never gotten before, and then they're like, whoa, this dude is, this dude is a dude. You know, whenever I hear somebody say the word thrust, I always think about uh, the Simpsons Simpsons when um, Homer was talking to Marge about her twin sisters, Selma and Patty. And he said, I thought that, uh," he said, I thought uh, Selma didn't even like sex. And she goes, no, that's Patty. Selma just had celibacy thrust upon her. classic. It all comes back to the Simpsons, Jimmy. But um, mm. no, what I want to say about you need to put up Patty and someone this locked on Bama on Twitter highlighting this episode. It needs to be a picture of Patty and Selma. So, you know, they searching through the gift catalog. Yeah, some some uh, <laughs> some, the, the new guy over at Locked On is doing a kick ass job with all these um, these graphs and gifts and things to get everything out there. And I'm trying to learn it, but I'm so non tech savvy that I mean I'm I'm in slow motion, and everybody else is like doing all these great things. But as I said, Jimmy, I don't know if you got the email. Our listenership was up like sixty eight percent last week, which we truly appreciate. And um, thank you guys a lot for listening. But uh, okay, I want to go back to the Big Ten here just for a second. Um, because in a way, it feels like the Big Ten is setting itself up for failure with this COVID thing of you if you test positive is 21 days, not 10 days, not 14 days, like most of these other places, 21 days. And you only have eight weeks to squeeze these eight games in. I mean, if you're missing half the season, essentially, if you I understand, um, I understand Put, okay, and they're going to say, well, we're putting the health and safety of the players first. That's great. That's fine. Uh, that's awesome. But in the end, it has to be a balancing act, right? I mean, it has to be a balancing act. You, you, is it necessary or, or, or is that seven days that you're doing different than everyone else? Is that really making a difference to justify what's going to happen? You know, so, you know, one one thing about, about everybody playing now and coming back at different times is pretty much everyone's going to claim some sort of a victory because there's no real scoreboard with this thing. You know, the SEC is going to say we were right the whole time. The Big Ten is going to say we were right for being more cautious. The Pac-12 is going to say we were more careful than anybody. I mean, everyone's going to claim some sort of a victory, but, but no one has really won and lost here except the players all over the country that do get to play because it's completely clear that the vast, vast majority of players wanted to play. Because while there have been some high-profile opt-outs, those opt-outs were for financial reasons. seems to me more NFL draft types opted out to save themselves for the draft as opposed to 
legions of kids who are really worried about contracting COVID and the consequences. There doesn't seem to be a lot of those. So no, I agree. And I'll tell you another thing that that um, this COVID may have done is it may have given everybody a humbling experience and um, some perspective because in the South, you know, we, we delayed football for a while. It one has probably made us appreciate it more. And two, also made us realize we do have families and other responsibilities in the fall that maybe we hadn't paid as much attention to under norm, normal circumstances. Um, I think that the players in the Pac-12 realized, oh, yes, we do have a voice, but when we use our voice to make these outlandish demands, maybe that's not a great utilization of our voice. Because I, you cannot tell me that the Pac-12 just, you know, packed up and said, we quit. Just because of COVID. I just don't believe that. I believe a lot of it had to do, and this Big Ten too, a lot of it had to do with these player demands. And then once it was taken away and they were like, okay, we just can't play, you know, under these circumstances, it's not worth it. Then the players sort of woke up and said, wait a minute, okay, we can do this more reasonably. Let's everybody get together. And it it feels like this is going to be good for everybody all the way around. It's just going to be a growing pain thing for us at the moment. I mean, and it, and it has sucked. But having said all that, here we are, game week, and I'm fired up. And I actually, I now I see it. Now that we're through the needle here, I see a positive because we're actually going to have football, good, important football, well into December now. And like, the, there's nothing that sucks worse than a college foot. I mean, a Saturday in um, in December, and I love Army Navy, but when that's the only game that's on, right? You know, you're it's a like, hollow hey, weekend. It's, it's a really a hollow, especially when most of these Heisman trophies have been sort of anticlimactic. And so the Heisman and the Heisman's been like this hour long thing. You're waiting around to find out who's going to win and you already know who's going to win. But you got to hear all these feel good stories. Um, man, it's going to be strange this year. And I think the Heisman's going to be strange because, you know, anybody could go down at any minute with COVID and uh, and be out. So this is going to be just a, a bizarre, bizarre yeah, thing. How do you compare a, a, a Pac-12 player who's played in, you know, seven games versus an SEC guy who's played in 10 games? I exactly. mean, I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm just saying it's more difficult and it's all factors that need to be weighed. That's absolutely right, buddy. Well, Jimmy, when we are doing our next podcast, I think uh, it'll be for Wednesday. Hopefully, hopefully we'll have a guest, Andrew Bone, on. He's come out with a new book all about these recruiting tales, just tales from the road. Um, He sent me an advanced copy. I certainly do appreciate that. Uh, Andrew Bone, a friend of both of ours, and I see him all the time at, at various events, and he's just all around good guy. And he's uh, he's got a new book out. I'm sure he's got a lot of great tales to tell, and I hope to sneak in some reading of it before he joins us. But until then, Jimmy, roll tide. Roll tide.